Tonight's scripture reading is Isaiah 62, verses 1 through 5. And it says, For Zion's sake will I, hold, will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest, until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness, and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness, and all the kings thy glory, and thou shalt be called a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Thou shalt be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate. But thou shalt be called Hesvibah, and thy land Bila. For the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married. For as a young man marrieth the virgin, so shall, so shall thy sons marry thee. And as the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. Lord God, we thank you for the institution of the church. Uh, Lord we God, we thank you for this, this passage in the Old Testament, Isaiah 62, um, prophesying of what your church would become. And God, I pray that the nations would know you by way of your church, um, the people that you have called unto yourself, um, the redeemed. Uh, so God, I pray that you would bless us as people of the church, that God, we would live up to what you expect of us, but, Lord, that we would also see clearly from your word tonight what you expect of us, your church. Um, God, help many of us think through what the church is tonight. That, God, we would be encouraged by your word of what you do out of a steadfast love. Um, Lord, that it is your nature to be steadfast in your love towards your people. And so, God, I pray that we would see people become your people tonight or, or Lord, re reclaim their position in your church, um, that, God, you would delight in them as one who um, is a part of your bride, the church. So, God, would you bless us tonight as we hear from your word? Um, be with us now as we worship you in spirit and in truth. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a child, I hated church. Waking up on a Sunday morning when I should be able to sleep in. Dressing up in clothing I wouldn't wear anywhere else. <laughs> living by a standard that was higher than my school and even my home. What was there to like? Some Sundays I begged to stay home begged to stay in bed and begged, just please let me take my Game Boy. <laughs> you see, when I was growing up, uh, my family, we were back row Baptists. Um, in other words, we were bare minimum Christians. Christians, uh, at least for myself, in name only. So any given Sunday that we made it to church, you would catch a little redhead doodling on some tithing envelopes in the back row, or perhaps playing snake on his mother's Nokia brick cell phone, or drooling on his mother's nice dress, or on the rarest of occasions, monitoring the volume on his Game Boy as he plays the latest Pokemon game. I hated church. 
I wanted nothing to do with it. None of it made any sense. I didn't get along with anyone there, or if I did happen to see a friend, maybe from school, he was always in the other Sunday school class. After the sermon was preached and the songs were sung, I could see the light shining down the stained glass tunnel. But then my mom would spend the next 30 minutes chatting it up with the other ladies at church. When I'm hungry and I need lunch, can we go home, please? You know why I hated church? It wasn't the day of the week or the cultural dress code or the weird people I didn't know. I hated church because I didn't know God. The one person I was supposed to be able to see and worship and interact with I missed him completely. I grew up in the church and missed Jesus. I could draw a picture with his name on it, but that didn't mean anything. I could voice some type of shallow prayer to him, but I didn't know who I was talking to. I could try to read some broken old English out of a heavy book, but what good would that do me? No, I was content to know nothing of this Jesus and suffer through church if only for the rest of my world I would be undisturbed. Bare minimum Christian in name only. Then God's grace entered into my life, my home, and my heart. A youth worker named Joey Mitchell asked my mom if he could come and visit me on one Saturday. He was by far the most fun person I'd see at church. Uh, He coached me in basketball and always made a point to say hello to me when he saw me. Well, he took some time on his day off to come over to my house and play video games with me and eventually ask if we could read some of the Bible together. It was in my own living room that I heard the gospel for the first time. Now, the gospel had been delivered all around me by preachers, Sunday school teachers, and even my mom. But I didn't hear it until someone from the church cared enough to share it with me on my turf at a level that I could understand it. Joey showed me from the Bible that I was a sinner in need of a savior. My disobedience to God had a punishment and that punishment was death. But God gave me his son, Jesus, so that I could be saved from my sin. That's why we value Jesus dying on a cross. It means the punishment has been paid for by one who did not deserve it. And the reason we value the empty tomb is because Jesus lives. 
He defeated death so that we could have eternal life. Joey said that all I had to do was repent. That means turn away from my sin. Believe that Jesus did die on the cross for me. And I would be saved. And it was there on that couch in my own living room that I confessed. I believed. I turned from my sins and asked Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior as much as a nine-year-old can comprehend. I don't remember feeling any different afterwards. But so much was accomplished in that moment. My spiritual reality was that I was born again. I had been baptized in the Spirit who now lived and dwelled within me. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. I didn't know that at nine. That's who came to live and dwell within me, the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, I became a part of the capital C Church. And that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Tonight, we begin a new short sermon series called Take Me to Church. And during our time together this evening, I want to answer the question for us, what is the church? The capital C church. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we know that you care about your church and you have instructed us from your word what the church is and what she should look like. And so God, I pray that you would bless us now concerning your church. Would you teach us and help us to apply this to our lives? I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I choose those words very carefully. The article, the, is important, as is the capital C church. What is the church? Well, we have to start with what Jesus said about the church. Jesus is recorded using the word church, or in the Greek, ecclesia, only two times. And they're both in the Gospel of Matthew. As we'll see, Jesus may not use the word church very often, but when he does, it is of the utmost importance. In fact, if you were here for our Honest Discipleship series, you'll probably remember the text that we're about to view together. Uh, so I invite you to turn into your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. We're going to read verses 13 through 20. Uh, you'll remember this is a conversation between Jesus and Peter, his disciple. And in it, Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ. He's the long-awaited Messiah. And that is what we focused on last time. But this time, as we read it, I want to focus on Christ's response and look to interpret that together. So hopefully you found Matthew chapter 16. Uh, I want to read verses 13 through 20. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. 
He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but your Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. This is the first of two times that Jesus uses the word church. Here he is talking about the universal church, as we may call it. The assembly of all Christians from all ages who will gather at the end of history. This is often reflected in the word Catholic, as some of you may know from the Apostles' Creed, where it states, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Uh, This is not a reference to the Roman Catholic Church. No, uh, we, being Protestants that we are, take issue with the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. We doth protest But the word Catholic better encompasses the church because it accounts for more than just the global aspect of the church, that a believer in Memphis, Tennessee is uh, a part of the church just as much as someone, say, in Africa that's part of the church. No, Catholic encompasses another aspect. It accounts for space and time. When we say we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, as the Apostles' Creed says, again, not the Roman Catholic Church, we are saying that Christians are joined throughout time. So the Apostle Peter and Paul, St. Augustine, Martin Luther, Jane Grey, John and Sarah Edwards, Jane Austen, Adrian Rogers, Andrew Cross, we are all members of the capital C Church. Jesus promised to build up this church, this assembly. Indeed, he has, and he will continue to do so until he returns. How has he built it? Well, he promises to build it on this rock. Now, theologians have long debated whether this rock is Peter or Peter's confession. I think we're helped by one theologian who has this to say about it. The confession cannot be separated from Peter, neither can Peter be separated from his confession. Jesus will build his church not on words and not on people, but on people who believe the right gospel words. Jesus has is and will continue to build his church on confessors. Which takes us back to honest discipleship, doesn't it? That we would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
not just in speech, but in life. That this is what makes us a part of the capital C church. Jesus goes on to give Peter and the other apostles the keys of the kingdom, which gave Peter the authority to do what Jesus had just done with him, to act as God's official representative on earth for affirming true gospel confessions and confessors. Uh, Jonathan Lehman writes in his book, Church Membership, about this. He says, The interactions between heaven and earth in this passage are amazing to consider. Peter rightly confesses who Jesus was. And Jesus said that Peter's right answer came from the Father in heaven. Though Jesus was on earth, he spoke on behalf of heaven. Then in the next breath, he authorized Peter to do the same thing, to represent what's bound and loosed in heaven by binding and loosing on earth. Uh, this concept of binding and loosing can be kind of confusing for some of us. Um, I'd like for you to imagine a rope, maybe at a rodeo. I don't know if this helps you or not, but if you're like trying to get that, that, that calf, right, you would hope that the rope would go and bind the calf, Right? but you can loose it as well, and the calf is released. So binding and loosing. That's, that's a helpful illustration for you, free of charge. Binding and loosing. What we need to see from this is a divine dichotomy that lies before us. You are either bound to the church and thus bound in heaven, or you are loosed from the church and loosed from heaven. I don't know about you, but I know I am heaven bound. Not because of any work I've done, but because of the accomplished work that Jesus has done. At nine years of age, I worked it out as best I could, and I confessed that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. I believed the gospel. I turned away from my sin and disobedience and towards his righteousness and his grace. When I entered the capital C church, I sealed my place in the kingdom of heaven. Have you done that? Have you repented of your sins? and trusted Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of those sins? Do you believe the gospel events that took place just as they say in Scripture? That Jesus died in your place to take the punishment for your sins, and then he rose from the dead to show that death had no hold on him so that you could walk in new life, abundantly. If you have confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you have entered the capital C church and you are bound to heaven. If not, then you are loosed. Loosed to wander through this life lost and disoriented. 
If you are not a part of the capital C church, then you remain an enemy of God, stuck in your sin, bound to eternal separation from God and all that is good. And I say that with absolutely no pleasure. No, I say that with fear and trembling as I think back to the crooked heart of a nine-year-old boy before he met Jesus Christ. And I consider, what if I had been left to myself in my sin? What if Joey Mitchell had not come to the house that day? I urge you, nail it down tonight. Enter the capital C church and be bound to heaven. As we enter the church and are bound to heaven, we are given new rhythms, new clothes, and a new standard to live by. Right? This is what I hated as a nine-year-old kid. We do get up on Sunday morning to gather with the saints on the Lord's Day. We do try to dress nice as is appropriate to entering into a place of worship. We do live by a different standard, following the commands of Jesus Christ. That is a response to the grace that he's shown us. It's true. We don't go on living life as we want, but as Christ wants for us. That's a good thing. The Bible gives us many metaphors to show us what the capital C church is supposed to be like. And we see, we've seen some of them recently. Very quickly, I want to give you four metaphors used in the Bible to help us see what we in the capital C church are supposed to be like. Four metaphors for the church. The first, living stones. Living stones. And we see this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, which says this. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And here's the important part. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Those of us in the church, capital C Church, are to be like living stones, built up or assembled upon the cornerstone, the most important stone, the foundation stone, those of us in the church share in the truth that we are all built upon Jesus Christ, the person and his teachings. As Paul or Peter said, the living son of God. So how can we apply this truth to our lives? Well, there's several ways you could apply it. 
but just one quick application on the go. Here's one. If the church is like living stones, then I must submit myself to the builder who is making me into something bigger and holier than myself. That's one application. If the church is like living stones, then I must submit myself to the builder who is making me into something bigger and holier than myself. The church is like living stones. Second, a flock of sheep. The church is like a flock of sheep. Remember back to Jesus' conversation with Peter at the last breakfast? John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19 say this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Remember, that's, he's comparing himself to the, comparing Peter to the other disciples, right? The, the Kind of the bickering back and forth, who was the greatest. Jesus is finally calling Peter out on it. He says, do you love me more than these? And Peter says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus refers to his followers as sheep. Don't take it personally. It's beautiful imagery. Because if we are the sheep, he is the shepherd. In fact, he says that earlier in the Gospel of John, he calls himself the good shepherd. And we, the sheep, hear his voice. And he, here, restores Peter to ministry. And what is to be the proof of Peter's love for Jesus. Tend to my sheep. Care for my lambs. Feed them. So an application for this, possible application would be, if the church is like a flock of sheep, then I must stay close to and be led by the shepherd opening myself up to be cared for by him. If the church is like a flock of sheep, then I must stay close to and be led by the shepherd, opening myself up to be cared for by him. That's a hard thing. Open yourself up to be vulnerable. But it's a good thing for the sheep because the shepherd tends to them, cares for them. The church is like a flock of sheep. Third, the family of God. The church is like a family. And this comes to us from the mountaintop of Scripture, Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. 
For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The Apostle Paul, as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes that those in the church, capital C Church, are led by the Spirit of God and are sons and daughters of God. As children of God, we cry out, Abba, Father. It's basically Papa. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Patriot. Mel Gibson. I don't even, it's been a while since I've seen it, so I don't even know if I can recommend it. But there's this one scene where his daughter, she's not talking. She's kind of angry at him. And he comes to visit from the battlefield. And all of a sudden, she kind of works up the emotion to cry out, Papa. Gets me every time. It's adorable. And it shows us the kind of relationship that God's talking about here. That's, that's who we cry out to, Abba, Father. And we do so together. We are his children. He is our father. In this, we are brothers and sisters. We are a family. Amen. And and a possible application for this is, if the church is a family, then I must learn to live with and support my family members in the household of God. I don't know if you grew up with siblings, but I did. One. I remember her throwing a shoe at me because I wouldn't let her play my Nintendo 64. Sometimes there's some infighting in the family of God. I'll tell you this. I love my sister now. And we've grown closer over the years. As she's had kids, I've become an uncle. I enjoy being a brother to my sister. And I hope that would, that would stir all of us for the affection that we should have towards one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. There may be times where we're like, I don't get you. And no, you can't play with my toy. <laughs> but don't throw a shoe at me. Right? We are to love one another. And we've got to learn. <laughs> that takes learning. That takes time. We've got to learn to live with each other and support each other. Because we are part of the household of God. The world, the watching world, is looking to see how do we love one another. Because we claim the love of God. The church is like a family. And then finally, the church is like a bride. The church is like a bride. Paul, in his, letters to the Ephes- his letter to the Ephesians, instructs husbands and wives to image Jesus in the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33, this is a longer passage that we'll look at together. And it's easy to get focused on the instruction that is occurring because that's, that's Paul's main goal is to instruct the church. But as I read the passage, I would love for you to listen for what we can learn about Jesus's relationship with the church, his bride, because that, that's our main goal for tonight. So here it goes, Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. 
Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the Christ submits, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. That's another metaphor that we'll look at in a couple weeks. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Jesus, like a husband, lays down his life for his bride, the church. He literally and actually laid down his life on the cross to save his bride from her sins. And as a response, the bride, the church, submits herself to him in everything. Everything. And this shows the gospel. This imagery of a bride and groom is present elsewhere in Scripture. John the Baptist, for example, calling himself the best man. Jesus, the groom. The church, his bride. And we read from Isaiah chapter 62, a prophecy that would foreshadow the church that was to come. In verse 5, saying, As the bridegroom rejoices over a bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. So a possible application of this truth, this metaphor. If the church is a bride, then I must be adorned in splendor, delighted to be face to face with the bridegroom, and firmly submitted to his headship. If the church is a bride, then I must be adorned in splendor. Splendor that you cannot array yourself in. Splendor that comes from adorning yourself in the righteousness of another. Jesus Christ's righteousness imputed to you. Righteousness that you don't deserve. That he, he lived out. That is what it is to be arrayed in the splendor that he provides. It's a wedding dress that the groom picks out and pays for. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> Delighted to be face to face with the bridegroom. 
and firmly submitted to his headship. There are more metaphors in scripture that we could glean from to see what is expected of the capital C church. In fact, we will look at some more closely. Uh, like I said, the, the metaphor of the body with many members. We'll look at that in a few weeks. My aim for you tonight is to see the divine dichotomy that exists so that you can see where you stand. Are you in the capital C church and thus heaven bound? Or are you loosed from the capital C church and left to wander this life lost and awaiting destruction? Which brings us to our main point. We must consider our place in the church. And once we're in, we must live out what is expected of the church in Scripture. We must consider our place in the church, and once we're in, we must live out what is expected of the church in Scripture. If the church is like living stones, then I must submit myself to the builder who is making me into something bigger and holier than myself. If the church is like a flock of sheep, then I must stay close to and be led by the shepherd, opening myself up to be cared for by him. If the church is a family, then I must learn to live with and support my family members in the household of God. If the church is a bride, then I must be adorned in splendor, a wedding dress that can only be purchased by the groom, delighted to be face to face with him, spending time with him, being present with him, and firmly submitted to his headship that he has all the authority to tell me how to live my life. Just a quick word about something I hear from time to time. What do you say when someone says, I love Jesus, but not the church? If we have seen nothing else from these metaphors tonight, or even the very words of Jesus that he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church, we have to see that it is impossible to separate Christ from his church. The two are inseparably linked at the cross and in the resurrection. Therefore, to love Jesus is to love the bride he loves. I cannot imagine someone coming up to me and saying, hey, pastor, I love you. I don't really like your wife. I hope you understand. Um, we say in the South, them's is fighting words, <laughs> right? <laughs> so it is with Christ. To love Jesus is to love the church. I like this quote from Professor Dustin Binge. I'll quote this and then we'll be done. He says this, Have you given up on the church? Shift your gaze from your hurt and disappointment and behold the church through the eyes of Christ. Behold her through the lens of Christ who will, willingly died in her place and rose from the dead to secure her eternal life. When you see the church, not for what she does, but for who she is, perhaps in time, you too will proclaim, you are beautiful.